Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, troubling trends in smoking habits statewide. A group of Minnesotans make the most of a record-breaking snowy February and Gopher women's hockey coach Brad Frost. But first... It's been another busy week at the Minnesota State Capitol. Governor Tim Walls rolled out his proposed bonding bill for state public works projects, and he and lawmakers got the latest economic forecast, meaning they can get down in earnest to the work of setting the next two-year budget for the state. MNN's Bill Werner is here with a quick recap for us. Scott, when Governor Tim Walz unveiled his nearly $1.3 billion bonding proposal, he did it at the Fort Snelling Upper Post. That's a housing facility for formerly homeless veterans. The governor is asking lawmakers to approve $150 million in state bonding for affordable housing. And he's requesting $345 million for transportation and transit projects, $150 million each for facilities at Minnesota State and the U of M, $217 $217 million for agriculture, environment, and natural resources projects, $104 million for water and climate programs, among other items. We will make our case that these projects, again, won't fix themselves. I'll go back to this again. It is fiscally irresponsible as a homeowner to not repair your roof before it leaks. That old adage that you fix the roof when the sun's shining, not when it's raining. These things will get more expensive, they will get more dangerous, and they will start to go down. Even before the governor unveiled his bonding proposal, Republicans said it's not the year to pass a bonding bill because the main focus must be the state budget. Senate Capital Investment Committee Chairman Rochester Republican Dave Senjum. There's no real strong intention to move forward with a strong bonding bill this year, if, if any at all. Uh, it's not typically a, a bonding year. If, if My belief is if we did one, it would be relatively small in the, in, in the neighborhood of $265 million. That's That's what the forecast shows we could do with existing money. And, uh, and, and it would be probably something along the lines of emergency kind of things. So I'm not anticipating we're going to do a big bonding bill this year. We'll certainly ranch it up next year as we normally do. I'm somewhat surprised by the Senate Republicans now are so set on tradition and regular order on things when uh, the idea that why would we not bond at a time when the bonds are cheaper? Why would we not bond when the need is there and that we can get it done? Why would we not start to reduce this backlog? Because if we do zero, uh, it just becomes we, we lose all the advantage we have. The cost will go up. We have corrections facilities where an entire cell block is open by pulling a lever, a handle. It, this is 2019. This is not Shawshank. This is not some movie. This is real life where people deserve to be safe in their workplace. They deserve to be safe if they're incarcerated for paying their debt to society. And we need to be smart about how we do that. And the governor said about Republican stance. Transportation package? No. Education package? No. Healthcare package and the provider tax? No. Uh, bonding bill? No. No is not a plan for the future. The fact is we are yes for education, yes for transportation, yes for bonding in its right time, which is typically the non-budget year. Uh, always we look towards education and how do we make sure we do the best we can. Uh, in addition to spending increases, I'm also saying innovate. What are the things that we can do to make it more efficient with what we do? Senate Republican Leader Gazelka. 
And the latest economic forecast that came out this week shows Minnesota's projected state budget surplus shrinking by a third, from $1.5 billion down to just over a billion. Economists point to a slowing economy, less job growth, lower-than-expected wage growth, and weakness in state income tax collections. Governor Walls says it's not surprising that the expected surplus went down. He argues it validates the approach he laid out last week in his state budget proposal. We must make investments that continue economic growth, and my investments in education, jobs, and transportation will do just that. Now I know when I finish, whether it's here or somewhere else, (laughs) our Republican friends will come and take this place, and I'll just save you all time and tell you what they're going to tell you. Cut taxes and cut spending on education and those things that actually grow the economy. This trickle-down economic theory that no matter what the budget forecast says is what we have to do is what gets us into these problems. Had we followed their advice and had we followed what they're proposing, we will blow billion-dollar holes in our budget. It will come from the general fund and the very investments that will allow us to grow in an economic slowdown uh, will be taken away. The ability to have the best qualified workforce, the ability to have the best transportation system, the ability to have prosperity in communities that attract people to come here. So leaving that in there, they will try and pay for those on the backs of our children, our elderly, and our most vulnerable. This budget looks to the future, which is exactly what you need to do when facing slower economic growth. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka does not buy the governor's argument. Earlier I gave the example of a home, and if you're a family suddenly has less income, you don't go out and suddenly spend more money. You tighten the belt and figure out how you're going to live within the resources you have. Uh, more tax increases are counterproductive. You could make that argument to me if we weren't in the top five tax states. We're already in the top five, and so my goal is to get out of the top ten. I'm not interested in being in the bottom ten. We, we like a lot of... Uh, things in Minnesota that we're willing to pay for, but we don't want to move up from where we are. We're already losing Minnesotans to other states. If I can just jump in on that, too. Uh, the, gov- the governor's comment that he wants to create jobs to get us out of the problem uh, doesn't really make sense. We have a workforce shortage right now, and we have the lowest unemployment rate in two decades. The problem isn't that we don't have jobs uh, and, and don't have people in the workforce. Uh, the problem is that the high-income earners are leaving the state of Minnesota, and that's really clear in this forecast. That's House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd. Packed hearing and overflow rooms in the state capitol this week when a committee in the Democrat-controlled Minnesota House passed a bill that would require universal background checks on gun purchases. Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka reiterated it will not pass the Minnesota Senate. Universal means that uh, you can't uh, give it to your son or daughter, you can't give it to your neighbor without uh, background checks. Gazelka says many Republicans and some Democrats won't go along with that. House Speaker, Democrat Melissa Hortman responded. The question is, is Senator Gazelka going to listen to Minnesotans? And we've heard them ever since the Parkland shootings being relentless in their pursuit of gun violence prevention measures. Scott, given passionate stances on both sides of the gun issue, it is a good bet this is not the last that we will hear about it this session. Thank you for that report, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. 
Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Teen vaping is up sharply according to the latest report from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and that appears to be the case in Minnesota, too, based on the latest information. I recently spoke with Mike Sheldon of Clearway, Minnesota, about what appears to be an epidemic. It is, you know, and this is something that the, actually the Surgeon General had put out an advisory on uh, not too long ago as well, calling it an epidemic. And really, this is reflective of you know trends we're seeing in Minnesota as well. Uh, the the latest youth tobacco survey showed that uh, you know uh, e-cigarette use among high school students was up nearly 50 percent from the previous survey. And we've also seen that in our own uh, Minnesota adult tobacco surveys. We're looking at kind of young adults, that 18 to 24 year old age group. They have the highest rate of e-cigarette use as well. So certainly this is something that is appealing to youth, and unfortunately it is still an addictive uh, product that is uh, you know, uh, attractive to them and, and something that a lot of youth are, are becoming addicted to. And it sounds like in the CDC report they specifically called out the, uh, the jewel form of vaping. Tell me a little bit about that and, and what you know about it. Yeah, I mean, so Juul is usually called out here just because they have just, the, you know, the lion's share of the market. Uh, they've also done lots and lots of aggressive marketing. And, you know, while they, they claim that they aren't uh, attracting youth or, or attempting to attract youth, uh, you know, their, their products, their flavored uh, products have all been very uh, attractive to youth in the past. And so this is something that uh, the you know, Surgeon General, the FDA, has been looking at and, and something that hopefully will get uh, further regulated in the future. You know, one of the things that we've talked about with regard to tobacco use over the years is that it seems as though it, it took a, a really long time for, for folks to get the message or for it to be the law that folks had to get the message that it was harmful. Do you think that teens taking up vaping know that it's going to be harmful for them? I think it's certainly easy to underestimate uh, the harm. I think it's also very easy to underestimate just how addictive these products can be. Uh, you know, I think these are uh, a lot of times kids who are, you know, nicotine naive. They they just don't understand uh, how easy it is to get addicted to these. And unfortunately, with things like e-cigarettes and, uh, you know, even with, with Juul as well, uh, the, the nicotine levels in them can often be very high, I mean, much higher than you would get in a regular cigarette. And so it's that much easier to become addicted to them. Uh, the other unfortunate piece, too, is that, you know, nicotine addiction at, at this age is just, it's not healthy. It's not good for the developing adolescent brain. And unfortunately, it kind of primes the, the brain for future addictions as well. And so, especially when a group like yours gets a hold of information like this, what do you do to try to set things in the right direction? Well, you know, and this is part of, uh, you know, a bigger push that we've long had in terms of, uh, you know, advancing policy that protect youth from addiction to tobacco products and, and any type of tobacco product. And so 
Uh, on, on Tuesday afternoon, actually, there's going to be a number of bills heard in the House uh, Health and Human Services Policy Committee that will hopefully really address some of these these issues. Uh, one, to uh, raise the tobacco age to 21. Uh, another one that would include e-cigarettes in our Clean Indoor Air Act. And then a third one that would uh, address some funding for ongoing cessation services. But really, the you know, the e-cigarettes and the Tobacco 21 bill could really work hand-in-hand in, hand in terms of helping to prevent youth from becoming addicted uh, in, in the long term. And Mike, I know that we've had communities around the state over the course of the last uh, year or so uh, take votes locally to raise the tobacco legal tobacco age to 21. Uh, how would what is happening at the legislature affect uh, local municipalities from, from making those changes as well? You know, uh, so they can certainly continue to do that, and we've uh, often advocated that we don't need to wait for the state to act. I mean, uh, there are a number of uh, 23 uh, Minnesota cities and counties that have already uh, raised the, the tobacco age to 21, and, you know, we saw this happen with the, you know, the clean indoor air law uh, as well and the, the freedom to breathe law. It was a lot of cities, counties, uh, local municipalities that uh, put that into place, and we kind of reached a tipping point where, yes, it, you know, it absolutely makes sense for the state to do this as well. And so, you know, we want to encourage the local communities to continue moving forward with that. Um, they don't have to wait for the state to act, but obviously we'd like to see um, the, the entire state have the Tobacco 21 law. And when we get information like what we're seeing from the CDC report today about teen vaping being up, I guess, do you have a particular message to parents out there, too? Uh, a lot of these things, uh, things like Juul, uh, maybe parents aren't even familiar with what they are. They don't even know what to be looking for. Right, and you know, I think that's the key is just uh, the education and, uh, you know, uh, parents educating themselves on exactly what the products are because in many cases, Unfortunately, they look nothing like a tobacco product. I mean, the, the jewels, for example, look pretty much like a, a jump drive. Uh, and there are a number of other products as well that, you know, have lots of different uh, looks to them. And, you know, they, they have different smells, different scents. Uh, so if, if, a, if a teenager was using them, it wouldn't necessarily be obvious that they are using a tobacco product. So there are, you know, a number of resources. The Minnesota Department of Health has uh, some great resources as well in terms of, you know, the education around what the, the products are, what they look like, uh, as well as, um, you know, just resources for helping kids to, to quit those. Is this recent reverse in the trend for teen tobacco use, does it wipe out all the good that has come over the years of, of that number going down? You know, I don't know that it wipes out all the good. It certainly is concerning because we have spent uh, a long time and a lot of effort to help drive down the tobacco rates uh, among you know both youth and adults. And so uh, this certainly threatens to undo some of that. But, you know, we know what works in terms of helping to prevent youth from becoming addicted. And it's a matter of continuing these uh, these aspects and just, in, you know, including the, the kind of the, the new technology with this. And that, you know, we know uh, how we can help prevent kids from becoming addicted to e-cigarettes and it's things like these policies of raising the tobacco age and making sure that we have this ongoing funding to uh, to keep uh, both kids and parents educated. Thank you again to my guest Mike Sheldon with Clearway, Minnesota. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. While not all Minnesotans are appreciating February's record snowfall, there's one group that says keep it coming. MN's Tasha Radel has more. 
Not everybody's embracing the bold north this winter, but for one group, the North Star Ski Touring Club, they're welcoming all the record-breaking snow. Joining me now is the club's president, Bruce Nelson. How are you doing today, Bruce? Yes, we're fine, and especially um, delighted by the great snowfall we've had. I know, it's been so far uh, a wonderful winter and an extremely wonderful uh, February, that's for sure. Before we dive into all the snow, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the North Star Ski Touring Club? Well, the North Star Ski Touring Club was founded in 1968, and uh, uh, it was a very new sport at that time in Minnesota anyway. It had been going on, and of course... Europe and the Nordic countries for many, many uh, decades, so and, and if not centuries. Uh, so the uh, members of uh, founding members of North Star Ski Touring Club got together and said, you know, we should uh, put together this group so we could organize some trips and enjoy this uh, fun sport with uh, other people. So and we've been at that for 50 years plus. And when you talk about organizing different trips and events, is that right here in Minnesota or all across the country and world? Well, all across the world, yes. Uh, right now we have uh, a, a group of uh, our skiers on a trip on the eastern edge of uh, Lake Superior, a fun uh, Nordic center over there. But uh, we've, uh, we've gone throughout the world. I've skied, uh, what, uh, three times, I believe, in Austria, and we, we had a trip to Poland back in in the late 70s, and um, so there's, there's oftentimes there's a, there's a trip that goes to Norway pretty much every year skiing, so uh, our members uh, do get around, but our center, of course, here in Minnesota, lots of day trips, as well as uh, many weekend trips. And when we talk about uh, skiing here in Minnesota, obviously, uh, you know, a lot of it depends on a good, healthy winter full of snow. Um, how has this uh, uh, winter been for you folks? I'm pretty sure I well, know the answer. Well, the winter started out, of course, in January, pretty bad, being so warm, and then all of a sudden it got terribly cold, which is not the most desirable for uh, people out skiing either. Not only is it that um, that it's cold, but uh, but also the the ski conditions. It's a little harder to 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 ski when it's when it's that cold because the because uh, <clears throat> the uh, the skis don't slide across the uh, snow quite that easily. But I'll tell you what what we have besides snow is here in Minnesota, it's just the greatest cross-country skiing in the world. We have in the middle of our glacial moraine, uh, we've got all these uh, gentle and not-so-gentle rolling hills uh, all throughout the state, and um, people have done an incredible job of developing trails, the state parks, county parks throughout the state, Hennepin County Parks, uh, the Lopet Foundation over at Worth Park, um, so we have fantastic areas to uh, to do cross-country skiing. Well, after this conversation, I live in the uh, Three Rivers Park District, so I'm, I might have to go try it. I've always wanted to try it, but I'm like I said, I'm not the most athletic, but I think I'm going to give it oh, a yes, whirl. They're, they're all set up. They, they know that a lot of people have never done this before. Um, I hesitate to say it's just like walking because it's not just like walking. Uh, but but it, that's the basics. You just um, you're you're moving along, and you can move along uh, pretty efficiently. Once uh, and and definitely, people should uh, take some some lessons. Though it's I can really see um, tell the difference between people who have taken lessons and those that are just uh, out there and wanting to kind of do it themselves. It would be a really wise investment. 
uh, to take lessons, people would enjoy it uh, a lot more. All right. Well, then I think I better start with lessons then, Bruce. That's for sure. So, well, I thank you so much for your time today. I I really appreciate it. And uh, I I know you folks enjoy the snow and I think there's more to come. Oh, yeah, it's really, really something. We're really kind of surprised after kind of a a doubtful start to the season. Thanks again to my guest, Bruce Nelson, president of the North Star Ski Touring Club. For more information on the club and activities, you can head online to north-stars.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The University of Minnesota women's hockey team won the WCHA regular season championship last weekend and now heads into the postseason next weekend. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm talked with four-time national championship winning coach Brad Frost. Well, first of all, congratulations in order uh, back to uh, the championship uh, team and the WCHA. I'm sure you had a pretty fun weekend uh, when it all culminated with the uh, with the trophy. Yeah, we really did. It, uh, it's a, a championship that we haven't won in four years, and and so um, to uh, to come out with that uh, that victory over Bemidji State and sweeping on the road, and they're a very tough team, and then getting a little help from Ohio State versus Wisconsin. It uh, it was a really fun weekend. What's been special about this team so far? I know you still have goals you'd like to achieve here as the uh, rest of the postseason gets going soon, but what's been special about this particular group? Well, I think it's a really consistent group. You know, that's the thing about trying to win the, the WCHA regular season championship. I think it's one of the hardest to win because it's a battle of attrition. It's over the long haul, and you have to be very consistent. Uh, we uh, split with Wisconsin. Uh, they won two. We won two. We went three and one against Ohio State. Um we didn't give any games away that we uh, uh, that sometimes happens, and that's uh, that's a mark of a great team to be able to win all the games you're supposed to, and then and then uh, split the ones that uh, maybe when you're on the road against tough teams. Now you have a bye week this week. You earned that by virtue of the outright conference title. Um, as you look ahead now, I know you have high goals. What uh, what is the hope here as you uh, wind this thing down over the next handful of weeks? Well, that's exactly right. We only have uh, three weeks of hockey remaining for for our team, so. 
the WCHA uh, final face-off is in a couple weeks, and and that's one that we won last year and, and actually got into the uh, NCA tournament because of it. Um, and so we'd love to uh, uh, love to hang another banner and and uh, and win that tournament again. It will be extremely tough with probably Wisconsin, Ohio State, us, and and either Duluth or uh, or Bemidji, unless there's some upsets uh, somewhere else. And and then of course we we go to the NCAA, NCAA tournament right after that. So it's all going to come uh, to a head here pretty quickly. So paint the picture for us over the weekend. Um, you knew if you swept, you'd at least get a share. You needed some help to get the outright title, which you got. Um, you got the win, and then kind of walk us through what happened on Sunday, knowing that uh, you needed Wisconsin to either go to a shootout or lose the game to Ohio State. Yeah, so going into the weekend, uh, we were two points behind Wisconsin, and, and so uh, we win on Friday. Um, they play after us. Later on, they lose in a shootout, so they – uh, earn one point so now all of a sudden we're tied up and and so we knew if we won on Saturday we'd at least be co-champions um, both of our games start at the same time on on Saturday uh, we go ahead and and win so we knew we were at least co-champions we get back to the locker room and see that uh, Ohio State and Wisconsin are going into overtime and and as long as uh, Wisconsin doesn't win it in overtime then we knew we were going to be the outright champion so it was a lot of fun for our players they got it up on their phone and they're counting down the seconds as uh, time expired and and the game ended in a tie and and so we knew we were the outright champs. As we uh, tape this interview in your office, there's trophies. You've won national titles. You've won conference titles and all of that. Does it ever get old? I mean, how much fun is that when you see maybe a new group of, uh, of, of athletes going through that and watching on a phone and knowing they've done something special? Yeah, it was, it was one of the, the cooler moments that I've had in my 19 years here, and uh, it never does get old. I can, I can promise you that. It's a grind. Um, our, our regular season is a long season. There's always three or four top ten teams in in that uh, in that conference, and so um, especially when you have to play Friday, Saturday, and you play the same team back to back, and have to make adjustments, and you know you could you could lose the first night, but you know that that team's going to be coming out extremely hard the next night, and and so it's a it's a tough league to win, um, but we're really proud of it, and as you said, every year is different. There's new players and and new chemistry, um, and, and this is a special group, and so I'm glad they earned it. One of the uh, buzzwords we've seen in coaching over the years, especially recently, is culture. And I know you uh, have, whether you're winning conference titles or, or not winning conference titles, you try to keep some pillars within that. And I know some of our listeners might not be totally familiar with some of those pillars. Kind of talk us through your philosophy on how you run your program. Yeah, so to me, culture is just about who you are and what you're about uh, each and every day. And, and uh, so we have some values that, that we want to live up to uh, and embody each day, and those are being tough, grateful, disciplined, and devoted. And we've had those for about 10 of the 12 years that I've been the head coach. And, um, you know, success for us is is more about um, what you can control and, and just laying it out on the ice each and every day for yourself and for your teammates and for your team. When you're recruiting athletes, how much of that do you keep in mind? Like, well, that obviously you want skilled players because you do want, at the end of the day, as you said, the results do matter. But um, will you maybe say she's a better fit than this other person, even though that person may not be as skilled? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're putting a puzzle together, as you know, and, and it's not always easy. And sometimes we miss, but um, we want to do our homework as best we can. And, and for us as coaches, we want to be hanging around really good people um, on our team. And that's up to us. So if we bring a, a bad egg in, that's that's our fault. <laughs> um, but we're 
our season's long, as you know, and, and it's uh, it's six months uh, each year, and, and we're going to be around these players each and every day. And so we want to make sure that, uh, that they're players that fit our culture and fit our program and, quite frankly, um, are people that we want to hang around with uh, each and every day. Um, because uh, in the end, that's what uh, that's what it's all about. Very good. The formula's been working. Good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Mike. That's Mike Grimm and Gopher women's hockey coach Brad Frost. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.